Hey, we've uh, we've been in a series. Uh, we've we've really started a series in Acts that we're going to continue to work through today. And we had we left off in Acts chapter three, where Peter and John healed the crippled beggar in Acts chapter three. And we worked through ch- uh, verses one through eleven or ten. And today we pick up uh, in Acts chapter three in verse eleven. And let's listen to what the word has to say to us this morning. This is after Peter and John had healed the beggar. He had been running around and saying, it's amazing what God had done, what God has done for me. And in verse 11, it picks this up. Look at this image, really interesting image. It says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John. Okay. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Verse 13, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus And now he begins to give his sermon. And you handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate. You, he says, you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith... In the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and that and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Verse 19, a good verse. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Christ who has appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore all things as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his peoples or people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people, peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. A lot of very interesting truths in the scripture. And I want to hit on a couple of generalities today, mainly with you that I I trust that the Lord will do something with this morning because it's it's a hard sermon. Um, I. I I was telling somebody before um, I talked today is that I'm I'm amazed at the 
the pride-crushing battle that God has for me as I enter into the Scriptures. And so I say that to you to let you know that that's really how I'm approaching this this morning. And I'm absolutely positive that some of the things that will be said to you this morning will will be somewhat cutting in, because it, it the nature of truth against our lives is that way. And so I, I ask you, and I've asked you this many times before, be more comfortable with that in your life. Be far more comfortable with the convicting and the cutting nature of the gospel, the truth. Be more comfortable with it. Welcome it more than you do. Open up your hands to it far more than you do. And that goes for me as well. The first point, I just have two for you today, but the first point that I that I want to say in a general sense is that do you know that God, our Lord, our Jehovah, our King, our God of Abraham wants to be seen? That's one of his desires. He deeply wants to be seen. He wants to be known but he wants to be seen. It's one of his desires. Yesterday we went to a wedding. I live in a woman's house. You know that, many of you. Even a girl dog. And um, girls getting ready for a wedding is, is an adventure. It's the, the 90% of the whole journey is just, just primping before the wedding. Just getting it all right. Painting it up good. Curling it just right. They asked me if I wanted a curling iron. You know, I told them, no, I don't need one. Thank you for asking. The interesting part of them all getting ready is that you're going through like that show, you know, like what not to wear. Have you ever seen that show? What not to wear. And at the end of the show, they have what's called the big reveal. Finally, the person gets on the right outfit and they walk out and, you know, what do you think? And everybody's supposed to go, oh, wow, you're beautiful, you know? Well, the idea that was going on yesterday for my daughters was that there was going to be a reveal in the day. There was going to be a time where they got to go walk out in all the curls and all the paint and all the dresses and finally show everybody their stuff. In the best of ways. Now, for me, my little daughter came up and she goes, she goes, Daddy, she said, do you have an outfit picked out? I said, what? <laughs> Men don't do that. We just go to the closet and go, hmm, hmm, yeah, okay, great, let's go. But the point of the day was so beautiful was the fact that they, they, they literally had inside of them this need to want to be seen in all of their color, which is beautiful. And that's exactly our Lord. And that's exactly what's going on here in Acts chapter 3. Is God has a deep desire to be seen. And that's what, as Peter talks about our Lord, that's what's going on. That's this primary thing that's happening above Peter. Is that I've given you a mission to go and talk about me because I want to be seen in this world. In other words, I'm not the God sitting on the porch in the rocking chair, smoking a pipe with long white hair, folding my arms and just hoping you guys get it all together. I am an active God who desperately 
and will be seen on this earth. I will be revealed, right? So that's kind of what's going on. Through this tiny miracle of healing a crippled man and now Peter's sermon is that God simply is saying that he wants to be seen. He wants to be revealed in our lives through our words. He wants the story to be told. Did you hear what I just said? He wants the story to be told. Peter is going to tell this story. Paul tells the same story. Are we telling the story? It's a good question. Or are we in all of our Presbyterian ways, we don't think because God's chosen people, we don't have to tell anybody about the Lord. What a bunch of garbage that is. The truth of the matter is is that God wants us to tell the story. And the, the big story, the story of what who He is and what He's done. Are we telling the story? Are we telling the story to ourselves? Are we telling the story to our friends? Are we telling the story to our wives? Are we telling the story to our children? God wants to be seen. He wants the story to be told. This is a quote from Julian of Norwich. It says this, If a man or woman were there under the wide waters, if he or she could see God as God is continually with man, he would be safe in soul and body and come to no harm. And furthermore, he would have more consolation and strength than all this world can tell. For it is God's will that we believe that we see him continually. Though it seems to us that the sight be only partial. And through this belief, he makes us always to gain more grace. For God wishes to be seen and he wishes to be sought and he wishes to be expected. Isn't that a beautiful way to think about that? And he wishes to be trusted. Did you know that about your Lord, my brothers and sisters? He actually wishes to be expected. He wishes to be trusted. Somebody has once said that what you think about the Lord is how you're going to act towards the Lord and towards others. What is it that you think about your Jehovah? Do you think he's a removed God, like I said? living apart and away from you and hoping for you all to get it together? Or do you see him as an interactive, personal, the God of the universe knows about you and he wants to be seen. He wants to converse. He wants to have a relationship. The Bible says it like this. Ask and it will be what? Given. Seek and you will what? Knock. Jesus gave those words to us in Matthew. The concept is, are we asking? Are we seeking? Are we knocking? We have a Lord that is interested in His children knocking on the door. Lord. Maybe sometimes we don't like to knock on the door because we're afraid of what the answer is going to be. The ramifications of this truth is pretty awesome if you think about it. Because... What it tells us is this, is we don't have to be hopeless any longer. Many of us here are in a state of hopelessness. If that be over a job or because of our past or because of a relationship that we're in or because of, because of an addiction that we have that no one else in this world knows about, 
because of a secret fear, we're hopeless. We'll have to we'll have, we have to talk about that before we're finished this morning. But God does want to be seen, my friends. He wants the story to be told. Make no mistake about it. He has a master plan. It started in the garden. It's continuing today. He knows all about it. He's at the wheel. The brakes haven't come on. Okay? He isn't worried and wondering how it's all going to go. By the way, it's not in the balance. Satan isn't going to tip the scales. There's no, by, there's no uh, cosmic dualism going on. In fact, some of you here, uh, and in some of our churches, we talk about cosmic dualism, meaning that, that there's God and Satan, almost as if God and Satan are on an equal plane fighting it out like Rocky and Apollo Creed. There's, there's no cosmic dualism. There's God sovereign, and Satan has been freed by the Lord only within his realm of his sovereignty. <laughs> That's what it is. There's, there, Satan doesn't have equal power with the Lord. Satan's been loosed. And God in his permissive will is allowing Satan to do that. His time's coming. But God's at the wheel. And, you know, I remember it was funny. I said to my dad one time, I said, why do these people, they, they have these bumper stickers, God is my co-pilot. That's what it said. My dad looked at me and he goes, God doesn't know co-pilot. God is like maker of plane and air and space. <laughs> he doesn't sit in the co-pilot seat going, I hope you get it right. Jeez, man, don't crash the thing. You know, it's not what it is. But God wants to be seen. And so his work is happening here through Peter. Because he wants to be seen. Second point, here it is. God wants to be the focus. God wants to be the focus. Let me say it again. God wants to be the focus. Doesn't surprise you here, in Peter. <laughs> in, in verse 11 it says, When the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. I, I was asking some folks this week, I said, I wonder if Peter gave the whole sermon with a beggar hanging on to him. Because you don't hear that the beggar ever lets go. Why didn't the beggar let go? Are you kidding me? Have you ever had time in your life where you felt some sense of spiritual healing and peace? That you wanted to hold on to that moment for all you could, you could have, handle? That's what's going on. He's trying to hold on to the healing, babe. He's just holding on for dear life. I'm just holding on. It's okay. But look what happens. He says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, and all the people were astonished. Peter asked them the question. When Peter saw this, he asked them the two questions. He said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? In today's culture, why wouldn't uh, you'd probably hear something like this? Well, doggone it, Mr. Crippled Beggar, why don't you just stand up there? Tell us your name. Right? Run on down the aisle. Ooh. Come on, show us what you got. And he runs up and down. He's raising his hands. And that's fine. Don't get me wrong. Go ahead. Run up and down Solomon's colonnade. Show us what you got. Well, that, that didn't happen. Peter asked the question and then he immediately launches into what? 
he immediately launches into the story, the most important story. And it's the story of Jesus. See, the crippled beggar isn't the center of the story. Peter says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this happen? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If you're like me, whenever I have an audience, I, I would, I, I love the audience to stare at me. Don't we all? Isn't the, isn't, aren't we all selfish in the sense of, I mean, if I was Peter and this had happened, I, come on, can I have a little bit of the credit, Lord? How about 9%? You take, you take 91, I'll take 9. I want them to know, I want people to know how phenomenal and spectacular I really am. I'll work hard for it too. That's one of the reasons why I don't like to talk to people or tell them too much about what's really happened in my world because I want them, the main thing I want them to think about is how spectacular and phenomenal I am. Now get this right now. I'm not talking to you about how spectacular and phenomenal my Lord is. I want them to know how spectacular and phenomenal I am. This is the part of the message that you'll start to feel the knife. And I did this morning. So I'm right with you. I want them to know how godly I've become and I want them to know how much wisdom I can impart. Can I give you a confession this morning? I've got to confess to you how very self-focused and prideful my life is and can become. I really got to tell you that. No, I, I really mean it. I think that you think that maybe in some way I've been given some special blessing or from the Lord or whatever because I do this. It's not the truth. The truth is, is that I'm confessing to you that I am extremely selfish and self-focused. I don't want to focus on the Lord. I want people to stare at me. I don't want, I'm not even Peter in this, for instance. I want to talk with you real quick, and I want to give you a side note for something that's going to be, I really feel it's important in our, in our body and our family here. I want you to pray this week about practicing the discipline of confession in your life. Is there anybody in your life right now, I know we confess to our Lord, is there anybody in your life within a council of wisdom, a circle around the fire that you can sit with and confess to? And by the way, when we confess to our friends, doesn't mean that we have to look at them and say, "Let me, okay, I got five scriptures for you." It's really okay to listen to your friend's confession and do nothing more than to pray, and it's really okay for you to listen to your friend's confession and say, "Thank you for sharing that," and let me share some of my stuff. This is one of the absolute beauties of being in the body of Christ that we have been freed by the gospel to confess our sins, our struggles, our doubts, our questions, our very pain of our lives with each other. And you hear this from me all the time, but I'm still really convinced that a lot of us have decided to live lives of complete isolation. Even if you're a married couple, you're going to do your thing. Or if you're, if you're a single, you're going to do your thing. But who do we have in our lives that we can practice the discipline of confession. It's another sermon. I've got to confess to you today that I find it 
extraordinarily easy in my life to make this story about me. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of John Stott. And he wrote this quote. Western culture has been greatly influenced, often unconsciously, by the power philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche, who envisioned the emergence of a daring and ruler race, a race that would be tough, brash, masculine, and overbearing, supermen who would become lords of the earth. But if the ideal of Nietzsche was the superman, the ideal of Jesus was the little child. There is no possibility of finding a compromise between these alternative models. We are obligated to choose. And the question for you and I this morning is which one am I choosing in my life? Am I choosing for me to be the Lord of the earth, the Lord of my household? Am I at the center of the circle of my life? Or am I choosing to be the humble child, the one in need? It's such a good question for us. See, but the problem that we have here is pride. And that's really why I'm so self-focused. And so are you. Pride is more than just the first of the seven deadly sins. It is itself the essence of all sin. For it is the stubborn refusal to let God be God. With the corresponding ambition to take his place. It is the attempt to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves. It's hard for me to even say it. It's a struggle. And what Peter was doing in this sermon, how he was evangelizing was the actual dethroning of himself. Follow here now. The actual dethroning of himself and the enthroning of the Lord. When he said, don't stare at me. Let me tell you about the real story. He was dethroning Moving off the throne and enthroning, putting the Lord on the throne. God, you are the holy and righteous one, enthroned. God, you are the author of life, enthroned. And you're the author of my life, and you're the finisher of my life, enthroned. God, you have been raised from the dead, enthroned. God, you're the king, king, king. Do you know what we're doing when we evangelize people, when we talk to our neighbors, if we're kind to them, or we're just being a neighbor, or maybe a co-worker? Do you, do, you, do you know what we're really doing in many ways? We're dethroning ourselves, and we're enthroning God. Do you realize what an inverted message that is in the world? That's a complete inversion from what you, the world, the people that are outside of Christ understand. They don't understand that you would dethrone yourself and enthrone another king. They understand that you would enthrone yourself and dethrone the king. It's, it's complete inversion. It's a complete change. But when we actually are engaged in conversation like Peter was here, very courageously, by the way, telling people about the Lord, very courageously stepped right up. That's a whole other message about us being able to be courageous with our world and our Lord. That's what he was doing. 
He was dethroning himself and he was enthroning God. Same thing holds true with this. See if you can follow this concept. Do you know what we are doing when we serve Jesus with our bodies and our hands? We are dethroning ourselves and we are enthroning God. Maybe that's why I don't like to do it. Maybe that's why I don't like to I don't I don't like to clean the throw up up in the nursery. Maybe that's why I don't like to finish fill in the blank. I got to really encourage you to think about something this week, if you will. Are you serving our Jesus? Are you serving our King? Without all the qualifications that you and I can come up with in 2009, with all of the self-focused understanding, are you serving? Are you giving your lives away because just for the joy that the God asks you to do it? Just because in Philippians it says that we're to give our lives away. Listen. Listen to what it says. It's so hard for me to hear this this morning. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ. Are you giving your life away? Now we're not talking about any money, we're not talking about any benefit. You're just serving You're dethroning yourself. You're dethroning all of your selfish desires. And you're just saying, here it is. This is a Tim Keller quote. Let me give it to you. Self-centeredness is to be stationary and static. In self-centeredness, we demand that others orbit around us. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, We enter into the dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other, and that creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other. So what do we do? Let me finish by just telling you this. What we do, and this is what I found myself doing a lot of this morning, and this is the hope of the gospel. We do what Peter says. In verse 19, look what it says there. He says, repent then. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent. Repentance is the continual gift that God gives us so that we can be unburdened by the weight of sin and experience a newness of our heart. It's a lot like confession. We practice the discipline of repentance So what are we to do as we live lives of repentance? Well, let me just talk to you about your hopelessness. Some of us are here that are without jobs. Probably a decent amount in this economy. Some of us are here uh, this morning that are, nobody would know it, that are without a friend to love them and to listen to them. Some of us are here that are in deep despair over past pain. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Let me ask you to consider something if you're in a hopeless state. 
this could be a repentant prayer for you. Consider this. Lord, I'm sorry for the cynical hopelessness that I have in my life. I really haven't believed that you are the hope of my marriage. I really haven't believed that you are the hope of my present, for my job, for my future. I confess that. I turn from it in your strength and walk the path of hope and trust. How about repenting of our pride? Lord, I'm sorry for continually making the story about me. I am a self-focused wanderer. I really haven't wanted you to sit on the throne as the king of my heart, and I dethrone myself and once again enthrone you. I confess that. I turn from it in your strength and walk the path of submission and humility. It's a difficult path for us, my friend. I'm encouraging you in Christ today. I'm encouraging you to walk the path of repentance. I'm telling you that we have a big God who can do big things, much more than you could ever dream, the Bible says in Ephesians. His love is big. It's wide. It's long. It's good. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, this morning. Um, I, uh, I pray, Lord, and, and um, just again ask you to forgive me and my amazing need to want to put me on the center of the stage of my life. I pray, Lord, that you would convict me deep in my bones to move aside and to put you on the throne of my heart, my attitudes, my family, my present, my future. Lord, thank you for being so kind with us in that journey. We, Many of us are in it, and many of us even today will find it very difficult to deal with these things, and yet you're so gentle with us. You're so graceful. But I pray that you would continue to pry away and peel away at the onion of our hearts, that you would continue to bring your message of hope into our lives, that you would continue to crush the pride that we find so easily to be our friend. Let us be a confessing community to each other and let love grow amongst us because we confess to each other and because we love each other enough to hear each other. We ask that you would continue to do your work in and amongst us. We give you and you alone all the glory, we pray in your name. Amen.